I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we're bringing you the baseball history. That's right. On our bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is on the mound throwing them. That's right. And I am uh, behind the plate today. That's right. You're sitting back. I'm finally returning to the mound after uh, a month off. There you go. A month on the, on the uh, injured list. Were you? Not really. I mean, my neck hurt a little bit, but it didn't really stop me from writing or telling a story. <laughs> That'd be a pretty poor as excuse. It slowed me down, I I'll tell you that. I couldn't read. I don't have a kitchen table at my house. Uh, I just have a coffee table, so the leaning over uh, and writing was not, you know, it didn't help, but... Okay. Anyway, I'm off the list now, yeah. and I'm back on the mound. There you go. Well, we're excited to have you uh, throwing a, a gem today, uh, looking forward to the story. But before we get to the story, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Uh, I'm at Ed's Do Baseball. I'm at Sean Do Baseball. We're also on Instagram, I think, at Doing.Baseball. Yes, and TikTok at Doing Baseball. And wherever you're listening, however you're listening, it would be fantastic to give us a follow, uh, give us a rating, give us whatever, some love, some hate, whatever. Tell us what you think. Yeah, and of course, thanks for listening. Yeah, and also before we get going, uh, we will talk about our fantastic sponsor as I crack one of these bad boys right now. Cracker open right now, buddy. There we go. So Two Loons Brewing, everybody. Uh, in Ontario, our listeners here can pick up Two Loons Brewing at your local LCBO. It's fantastic IPA. They got many more beers on the way. Uh, some great stuff from Two Loons Brewing uh, coming, and their IPA is fantastic. I'm drinking one now. Uh, you can find them at twoloonsbrewing.com. Uh, and, of course, uh, Please be of legal drinking age and enjoy responsibly. That's right. That's right. Okay, we got through all of the stuff. I'm excited to sit back with the two loons here and, and hear what you got for me, buddy. All right, well, uh, I'm going to get into the story here. It's, I, I pulled this one from the wealth of stories that actually you gave me. Okay. Um, you know, uh, it, we've been doing this for, what, like three years now? Is this episode 84, 85? Somewhere in there. 84, yeah. I think. Yeah. 85, maybe. Actually, yeah, I think 85. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so that's, while. that's quite a while. So, you know, it's it's kind of, it's getting Harder. not difficult, but more difficult to, to find some interesting stories from from oddball baseball history. But anyway, so you sort of supplemented my list because I've been jealous of this list that you've been talking about that has, oh. you know, supposedly hundreds of, oh, we're, of, we're good. We're of good. topics. But we'll be here for a long time, folks. Yes. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so I plucked one from that list that you sort of gave over to me. Yep. And then uh, so hopefully uh, this one isn't that familiar to you anyway. But. No, no. I mean, most of the time I scribble these names down in passing, whether I'm researching a story or watching baseball YouTube or uh, reading a book. Uh, you know, that's how I found, let's say, uh, what's his name? Bonesetter Reese and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I write it down and most of the time I don't look it up again until I'm looking for a story idea. So I'm sure I'll, I'm, I'm coming in blank slate here other than maybe browsing this person's Wikipedia once. Okay, well, uh, this story, we've, we've told a few stories recently that have kind of been from, you know, not too far into the past, you know? We've also told, well, I guess some we've told that were quite far into the past as well. But anyway, yep. that's neither here nor there. This one is quite recent, actually. Ah, okay? That was your long way of saying, this happened recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to make time. You yeah, know? no. So, well. Okay, so... Uh, I'm going to start now. Just go ahead right here. August 24th, 1993. Yeah. Brandon Willie Martin is born. Brandon Willie Martin. Okay. So you're, you're kind of, it looks like you're, the gears are turning. So I don't know. It looks unfamiliar. Wait, to did you. you say 93? Yes, 93. Oh my God. Okay, go. Okay. So Brandon Willie Martin was born to parents Michael and Melody Martin in Corona, California. Uh -huh. He had an older brother as well named Sean. 
Great name. Okay, yep. Spelled exactly like you, too. Great. Okay, so Brandon was uh, a mixed race. Uh-huh. His his what his mother was white and he had a black father. Uh-huh. And okay, so he grew up in as I mentioned Corona, California, and he played high school baseball at a high level. He was the star shortstop for Santiago High School. Cool. Okay. Uh, teammates considered him to be quote the next Derek Jeter. One close friend who played baseball with Brandon since the age of ten said quote We saw his greatness at a really young age. We all wanted to be around it. We were proud to be Brandon's friends. <laughs> Brandon's a great guy. Yeah, he's going to be rich one day. He's going to be real rich one day. <laughs> and let me just tell you, I will be there for him no matter what. That's right. <laughs> Clean his laundry, whatever he needs. I'm there for Brandon. He's my Change his batteries? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Brandon had a quiet and reserved personality at this time, which was noted by Baseball America in a glowing scouting report. Okay, so he was drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays in 2011 mm-hmm. with their first round pick. Uh-huh. So right out of high school, he's drafted. He's drafted 38th overall, yeah. which was a compensatory pick yeah. at that time. So it's first round, but like compensatory of the first round. Yes, it was Boston's first round pick uh-huh. because they lost Carl Crawford yeah. uh, in free agency. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Brandon signed with the Rays, and he got nearly a $1 million signing bonus right out of high school. So $860,000. Okay. Good chunk of change. Pretty good chunk of change when you're 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So uh, in that first season with the Rays in the minor league system, he gets sent to uh, the Rays team in the Gulf Coast League, Mm -hmm. which is their rookie ball team i think it was in the short season because he only played in 19 games but he had a 255 average which is pretty all right he's 18 but but he had a he had a 386 on base percentage that's very good yeah so that's like you say very good 57 plate appearances he had 12 hits 10 runs one home run three rbi three stolen bases seven walks and 12 k's so very Rays like prospect. Yeah, like, yeah. Gets on base, you know. Doesn't have the power, but could develop. Mm-hmm. And he he's very speedy too. He's yeah, fun. yeah. He's, he's a quick. Fast guy. He's probably versatile yeah. as yeah. fuck too. Yeah, he's very good defensively as well. Yeah. So at the end of that season, Martin returned to California and rented a house in Yorba Linda. <laughs> no, Yorba Linda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to look up how to spell that because uh, <laughs> it was not, it was not anyway. Yorba Linda. Okay, gotcha. Okay, okay. so which is a, it's a suburban city in northeastern Orange County. Yeah. And just a little fun fact here. It's fun. home home to the Nixon Gardens. Wonderful. Richard Nixon. Okay. Right. Okay. And uh, I gather that's a memorial gardens for Richard Nixon. Yeah. Where yeah. all the plants are sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very capitalist. <laughs> Very embarrassed by yeah. scandal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he rents this house, right? It's 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 six thousand dollars a month to rent this house. And there were nineteen visits to the house by police in just four months. It's, okay. Okay, but how old? Wow, he's eighteen. Yeah, he's got eight hundred sixty grand. <laughs> he he, a bunch of his buddies split the rent on this mansion for six grand a month. I'm sure that was evenly split. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think there's other ball players that are there as oh, well okay, too, okay, like okay. other prospects okay, as well. Okay, you know, but. Uh, so, so, so like it's a, is it a party mansion or pretty why? much like that's, I mean by that's the why the cops it. are getting called yeah fucking nineteen times in four months <laughs> that's once a week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's they're getting called because as you're talking about there's loud parties yeah and there's fights with baseball bats well I mean how else are you supposed to fight <laughs> I guess you're yeah. a prospect <laughs> so you got to practice <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's also like police show up and there's air soft guns laying around okay. and and by some of the reports there was more blood than there should have been 
<laughs> which is some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is some. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot more than there should be. Like, it's everywhere with the sounds of things, right? <laughs> They've been shooting each other with pellets and hitting each other with baseball bats all morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's consensual, though. Yeah. Yeah, it says. So there's all this underage drinking going on because he's not even 21 yet. Well, yeah. Right? So uh, drinking age is 21 at this point, I, I assume, in California, obviously. Well, yeah. since it was like fucking. What, like 12 years ago? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also these underage drunk people were pissing on the neighbor's property, apparently. I don't, yeah, well, that's that's not that's not good. Hey, you're in a, a party mansion. There's going to be more bathrooms. Anyways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so, he, like, anyway, as we're trying to illustrate, this is just like a crazy house. One of the parties he threw, he threw a New Year's party uh-huh. uh, to kick off 2012. Yeah, a great year. And, and he threw 2012. Dollars in one dollar bills from the balcony at midnight. Oh my god! That's a pretty awesome way to celebrate. Well, I New mean, Year's to be honest. Depends on how many people are down below. There's like four buddies. Like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look that cool. No, <laughs> if there's a huge party, yeah, people. no, it sounds like there was like no floor space like at these parties. Like nice. it was just crazy. Everybody wanted to be there, right? Wild. So, Brandon himself was arrested twice. For disturbing the peace. Okay. And then after the... Uh, this is all in the off-season. So after this off-season, he goes uh, back to the Rays minor league system. And he started to struggle a little bit in 2012. Okay. E- even though he was named the best defensive infielder in the Rays organization by Baseball America. So he's struggling at the plate. And, and I'll just like get to his numbers here quickly. He... I, I'm assuming this was a longer season. Mm-hmm. He's not in the short season anymore. He got into 63 games. Yeah. But his average fell to 209. Oof. And even worse, his on-base percentage fell to 272. Yeah, that's not a that's not a that's not a good line. No, it's a regression. Big regression. Big so regression. This was in 279 plate appearances. He got 53 hits, 46 runs scored, 10 home runs, 11 doubles, four triples, 32 RBI. Eight stolen bases, twenty-one walks, and seventy-three strikeouts. He scored a lot when he got on base. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's still valuable. You know, well, but I guess. yeah. So, so I mean, that—that's the thing is with his speed. It sounds like I mean, you know, it's not a down year's bad, but it's not like you know releasable. At yeah. This point. He's got a bit of you know. I assume they're thinking that he's got a bit of a sophomore slump going on. Yeah, I'm trying to hit coach, but I I keep hitting Jim. (laughs) He's been throwing my swing off all week. Got these airsoft pellets in my elbow. It's slowing me down. But this was in. I just quickly mentioned this was he was playing for Princeton in the Appalachian League. Okay. So anyway, just that's it's probably good he got away from California for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) after the 2012 season, he rents another house. Okay. But this time he actually goes and gets one in his hometown of Corona and apparently it was a more modest house but it cost more money because it was in like the Eagle Glen Golf Club area okay so this time it was $8,000 a month it's a lot of money yeah and it's again split between a bunch of friends but it was another winter of reckless abandon okay so so most of this party is going on in the off season yes Okay, just yeah. just to be clear on that. But yeah, okay. Yeah, so to kind of describe here, I'm going to try to paint a picture of like what was going on at these times. It's sort of deteriorating mental state of Brandon. Matt Budgel, former Mets minor league pitcher, lived at the house with Brandon uh-huh. and said, quote, things got a bit out of hand in that house. We were doing cocaine and drinking all the time. We tried coke for the first time together. Then it was more coke. More coke for him. I think it might have been a necessity thing. You keep doing it long enough, and coke is not enough. You want to get higher. Another friend from back in Little League noticed that the cocaine seemed to affect Brandon Martin differently than the others. Quote, if he did coke, he looked like a crazy animal. Eyes wide like the Tasmanian devil. Jesus. (laughs) 
So, yeah, that's not good. Uh, I think there's a quote somewhere from somebody being like, I love the person who I am when I do cocaine, and that person wants to do more cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the friends are describing that it yeah. was like for Brandon. So It uh, just uh, is one bump's not enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So things were snowballing, not to use a pun there. But uh, when they moved to the Eagle Glen, the parties continued, but Martin was different now, apparently. He spent most of his time holed up in his room playing Call of Duty games, and he seemed on edge. He mumbled to himself, and he laughed for no reason. (laughs) He responded with one-word answers to questions, often so low that no one could understand. His friends would call him George now because he was like a stranger. That's a weird fucking thing to do. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. I guess you're like... Oh, yeah, whatever, that's exactly George. like George over there. It's not Brandon anymore, so... Yeah. Okay, so, quote, he would get to be a whole other person and really didn't understand how the world was really working, said Justin Hayes, who was another of Martin's former roommates. He was like a clubhouse attendant for, I think, just a California team, not for someone that that Martin played for, but that's, again, not really that relevant. But anyway, quote, he didn't understand what was going on. So he's becoming a little, like, dissociated? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, one time, Martin and friends were smoking weed and tossing the ball in a Corona park when someone commented on Brandon's hitting trouble last season, at which point Brandon asked if this meant the friends were against him. And then he grabbed a bat from his trunk and wanted to fight. <laughs> just, just fight with your hands, guys. Yeah. Just, just fight with your hands. He's just a huge guy that's just like threatening his friends all the time. Has like a very short fuse. Well, and time, they were right? riffing on him, right? Like, yeah, he didn't hit well last year. Like, yeah, like major I, leaguers are gonna hear worse than that, buddy. Yeah, you would. Yeah, well, you would think so. Okay, continuing on. In a civil lawsuit filed later on by the Martin family, which this suit was filed after the climax of this story. Okay. We'll eventually get to that. It is alleged that when Brandon and his family visited Oregon State for a football game in November of 2013, his brother Sean played football for Oregon State, Martin was, quote, agitated and erratic, end quote, and made several comments about drugs. The lawsuit said Martin failed a test for marijuana with the Rays over the previous season and started using heroin in addition to alcohol and cocaine. Yeah, that's an escalation. Yeah. The lawsuit also said that if Martin had have just apologized and sought help, he would have been able to return to the Rays, but Martin didn't seem to grasp that his career was in jeopardy. You, oh, okay. Yeah, so... So this lawsuit is trying to illustrate that, like, he was kind of separated from reality. So he, he's gone down. Like, he's basically just... He's no longer partying. He's an addict at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Another longtime friend was quoted in the LA Times, quote, He was so not there, it was almost like talking to an empty soul. I regret that we didn't view it as being mentally unstable. We viewed it as a druggie being a druggie is kind of sad well i mean that that's it's it's a reaction it's a human reaction right like i mean to get mad at somebody and being like what the fuck like you what what you're all fucked up like what the fuck's wrong with you Mm -hmm. instead of like empathizing right it it takes well it's easier for sure it's definitely easier but it's also very i i don't want to say natural but it's it it is a way that a lot of people will react to that situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so That goes on, but in spring training 2013, he suffered a broken thumb, which put him out for a little while, obviously, but he was sent to play for Bowling Green Hot Rods in the Kentucky, in Kentucky, in the Midwest League, so he's in A-ball now, Yeah, right? So he failed three drug tests for marijuana, and he was suspended for the remainder of the season, and he was continuing continuing to decline. Um, on the baseball on the on the baseball field, his stats in 2013 were uh, in 73 games. His average dipped again to 206. On base, it dipped to 268. Yeah. In and he got more plate appearances. So in 292 plate appearances, he got 54 hits, 29 runs, seven home runs, 10 doubles, three triples, 39 RBI, 10 stolen bases, 
and 19 walks and 65 strikeouts. Okay, yeah. So he's just regressing. It's not as... It's it's similar numbers to the year before, basically. Yeah. And, and a slight regression. Yeah, and, you know, he at this point, if, if this guy's your number... If you if this guy's a first round pick, you're expecting him to be oh, progressing yeah. by this point. You know? Oh my God! Yeah, no, you would not. You'd be disappointed to see that, even at a, as a twenty year old, right? You'd be disappointed to see that stat line for right. single A. Right. So to kind of illustrate the continuing decline of his mental state, in late 2013. Martin and Hayes, that's the buddy who was the clubhouse attendant, were at a Chevron station when Brandon told Hayes, quote, stop laughing at me. <laughs> she wasn't. Yeah, I could tell by the way you looked at me when you said yeah, that. That's and, scary. <laughs> and Hayes was confused, and Martin said, quote, I can hear your thoughts. Okay, <laughs> so that's not good. No, so that's kind of alarming. So spring training 2014 rolls around, and, and by this time his friends started to notice that he had some weird quirks, like pregame rituals, <laughs> like, like he had to have Skittles before the game. He didn't care if it made him late or not. Oh, okay. So he has like these weird compulsions going on, right? Yeah. And he was also unable to take criticism. Well, it sounded like that, you know, based on the park incident with the baseball bat. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But even coaches, you know, like coaches would criticize him and he would just give them the silent treatment and act like he already knew whatever they were trying to teach yeah, him, whatever, right? coach, I hit 206. Yeah. I don't think you know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hurled profanities at coaches and teammates. Oh, that's not nice. But, you know, on the other hand, he still promised to take care of all his friends when he ultimately had success and he also bought a black nissan titan for his father okay so he's going through this money pretty quickly yeah yeah <laughs> pretty quick I, i've calculated in my mind like he's he's easily spent you know close to uh uh you know probably close to 200 grand at this point <laughs> yeah i would say easy I mean, who knows what his coke budget was well exactly <laughs> and you know he got what was it like eight hundred and fifty thousand? like he ain't getting all of that there's fucking taxes yeah. <laughs> yeah so carrying on on february 5th 2014 uh there's an altercation where he assaults his older brother sean and breaks his finger well, that's not nice. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. Anyway, here's the main description. Michael and Melody were awakened by Brandon yelling around 1 a.m. Uh-huh. So Brandon's parents went downstairs to investigate, and he put his mother in a headlock and cut one of his father's fingers when he pulled on it. What? Like, I guess his father was, like, reaching in yeah, to, like, kind of, and like, he, like, grabbed him at him it and okay. cut him or something. Okay. So the police were not called. Uh, and like I mentioned, I'm not sure if it was during this altercation that Sean was or, or whether that this happened afterwards. Yeah, or there was another one. Or yeah. there, 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 there's been a few incidences when he's back at home now that you yeah. know the police are getting called. Yes. So anyway, so the Rays suspended Martin again for the 2014 season. I think also because of failed drug tests, but like you know, clearly he's just. You it's know. not going well. No, no. So, and then ultimately they released him on March 26th, 2015. Damn. Okay. So, no new contract, nothing like that. He returns home to his parents' place in Corona, California. And I, I'm going to mention this. He harbored an inexplicable hatred toward his father. Weird. Yeah, like a, like ra a racially fueled... Hatred. That's, like, apparently, he would call his dad by racial slurs. That's awful. Yeah. Uh, Brandon apparently despised the fact that he was mixed race. He used uh, skin lighteners to lighten his complexion. Jeez. Ugh. And then later that year, there was another altercation in September of 2014 where he punched his father in the head multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, on so this is like yeah, this is a very you're outlining a very strong pattern here. Yeah, yeah, abuse. Yes. Yeah. On September sixteenth, two thousand fourteen, Michael and Melody put in an application for a restraining order against Brandon after he punched his father in the face without either speaking a word. Then he asked for money. 
<laughs> Michael handed $20 over from his pocket, and then Brandon sat down to eat breakfast as if nothing had happened. Well, I mean, that's one way to get the upper hand in the negotiation. <laughs> at, <laughs> at breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> So this incident in the report, the responding officer, Michael Lopez, noted, quote, unprovoked, swollen left cheek, refused medical, does not desire prosecution against son. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, they're worried about his baseball career. Yes. For some reason. <laughs> but they're scared, too. They're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're scared, as illustrated by the parents, we're going to get a restraining order. And they wrote an application that they were in danger and wanted their son to be forced to move out. Well, I mean, at this point, he's like 21, 22. Yeah. Like, kick him out. Yeah. Well, I think, as, you know, we've seen, it's that's not that easy. I, you know, they're, they're older. Yeah. And I'll tell you why it's not so easy in a second as well. Okay. But they didn't appear in court for this application for the restraining order. Mm -hmm. And so a judge just dismissed the action and... Nothing happened. Um, but after that incident, an old friend said that he heard Brandon laughing and bragging about the assault later that night at the Eagle Glen mansion. Oh. He's just like not, no no remorse. Not remorseful yeah. about it. Yeah. Right. Fucked up. So like I say, he was not arrested because Brandon, or yeah, Brandon's family didn't want it to negatively affect his career. Mm-hmm. And this is bad enough that Brandon would do this to his father in the first place. Mm -hmm. But what made this especially terrible is that Brandon's father, Michael, was in awful physical shape as well. Oh, dear God. He was diabetic. Oh. And apparently on dialysis. Ah. Was unable to walk and spent most time in a wheelchair. He punched a man in a wheelchair. Yes. His own dad. His own dad in the oh. wheelchair. He was described by his doctors as being so weak, even his upper, even in his upper body, that even to raise an arm to a level slightly above his head, so like this, yeah. you know, up to about eye level or so, it would require the assistance of yeah. the other arm. And his legs don't work at all. Oh, my God. Like, okay. he, he needs somebody to transfer him in and out of his wheelchair. To like the living room chair and that's where he stays for a while and yeah yeah, you know. yeah so his dad's in pretty rough shape yeah okay so on september 13th 2015 brandon choked his mother melody what? and then two days later on september 15th threatened her with a pair of scissors holding them to her throat oh okay so Jeez. Okay. So the altercation, as Brandon described later, was over cleaning his room. You're fucking 22, bud. <laughs> 21, but 21, still, whatever. you know, splitting hairs here. Melody alleged that Brandon wanted, or uh, Melody allegedly wanted Brandon to clean his room, but Brandon wanted to eat first. That's when Brandon attacked Melody and then went on an alarming rant about how, quote, he would never be able to play baseball as long as his parents were alive. Weird. Weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. They seem to be nothing but supportive, bud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Melody did not at first report the choking incident, uh -huh. right? Perhaps fearing for her life. Mm-hmm. But news did eventually spread to other family members because two days later on September 15th, uh, I believe Sean was home for mm. the scissors incident. incident. And I think he was threatened, but he definitely saw mom get threatened at very least. Yeah. So older brother Sean called a cousin of theirs, mm. Mike Anderson, and asked him if he would come over to their house and beat Brandon up. Well, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> He's like, come over and kick Brandon's ass. <laughs> he just threatened my mom with He's some scissors. He's fucking around with the scissors. I'm going to get kicked out of Oregon State if I do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. 
He didn't say why. Yeah. Did, he just said, come over and beat up Brandon, right? Okay, great. But, just, just said he's got a good cousin there. Oh, yeah, I'm on the way. No, 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 no. Mike says no. Oh. He says, okay. no, I'm not coming to beat up Brandon. But he calls up the other family, family members for a family meeting of sorts on what to do about the kid. Mm-hmm. Right? So a Brandon apparently turned down the intervention and refused to come out of his room to talk. And it was here that Mike learned of the choking incident with Melody a couple days earlier. So Mike called the Corona police to report it. He was mm-hmm. like, fuck that. He's not getting... Fuck this. He's been yeah. fucking around too much. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a brother you know, calling his other brother yeah. on his shit. Yeah. yeah. Cousin. Cousin. But still. Cousin, whatever. Older yeah. cousin. Whatever. So police arrived, but Brandon claimed self-defense. He was like, oh, she slapped me on my shoulder and I got scared. So I threatened her with scissors. Anyway. And furthermore, Melody did not want to press charges. Mm-hmm. So responding officer Edgardo Sandoval told a court that despite the fact that, quote, there was nobody there that wanted any prosecution for any criminal activity, he also felt uncomfortable releasing him and leaving the area. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're seeing a repetitive pattern here once yeah. again. <laughs> yes. So he suggested that they allow them to take Brandon to a hospital and admit him under what is known as a 5150. Mm-hmm. You know what a 5150 is? Vaguely. Explain. Okay. It's uh, basically a person with a mental illness to be vol- involuntarily detained for a 72-hour psychiatric hospitalization. Yeah. So somebody who's experiencing a severe mental episode or condition can be detained against their will for up to 72 hours. If they meet at least one of the requirements of being a danger to others, Mm -hmm. themselves, or if they are, quote, gravely disabled and unable to provide their own food and housing. Okay. Well, I I don't want to get into that last one because that one last one is just like, great, what do they do after 72 hours? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No. So in this case, it sounds like the perfect candidate for 5150 or whatever it is. Exactly. So, but the family apparently did not like this option either. Mm -hmm. But as mentioned, the officer did not feel comfortable leaving the situation as it was. And despite protests, Sandoval booked Brandon Martin under a 5150. So Mike Anderson told a courtroom that his aunt, Melody, didn't want him to go in under 5150 because of the effect it would have on his baseball career, which just as an aside is clearly over. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. to them, maybe they don't see... There's still a chance. There's still a chance. But he himself, he being Mike, objected because, quote, he felt he needed to go to jail to keep him away from the family. Fair point. <laughs> yeah, fair point, Mike. So Brandon gets taken away for a psych evaluation. And now what the family apparently didn't understand was that it was a t- detainment for up to 72 hours. They thought they had three days to make preparations <laughs> for Brandon coming back or whatever. <laughs> just, just takes him around the block. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we talked to him, you know, we gave him, we gave him the old American league trick. Just take a walk around the block well, he, and he's fine. He's you know? good. He counted to 10. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the facility holding Brandon determined that he should be on mood stabilizers and that he no longer needed to be detained. And he had antisocial, narcissistic, and borderline personality disorder tendencies. Yes. So they wrote him a script for some mood stabilizers and antidepressants and sent him home as, quote, Brandon no longer met the criteria for ongoing involuntary detention, end quote. So his mother begged them not to release Brandon early. Mm-hmm. But he was processed anyway. And they failed to even notify them that they'd given Brandon a bus pass so that he could return to their home. Yeah. Right? We got you your own bus. Yeah. <laughs> Take you anywhere yeah. you want. Got your limo, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael and Melody had called ADT yeah. to install security a security system yeah. at the house. Upon the early release of their son, and contractor Barry Swanson was sent on September 17th, 2015... To do an in-home consultation 
about installing the system. I think he actually did end up installing the system mm -hmm. that day, but I think originally it was just a consultation. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Point is, Barry Swanson's at the house. Barry Swanson is at the house. Yes. That morning, Melody's brother and Brandon's uncle, Ricky Anderson, arrived at the Martin home as well to A, make sure the family was safe with Brandon coming home, mm -hmm. and B, to present his nephew with an ultimatum regarding going to a rehab center. Okay. Makes sense. Sure. So when Brandon Martin returned home that day, he immediately grabbed a black baseball bat, engraved with his own name, and began to beat his uncle Ricky Anderson with it. I feel like we should have seen this coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not that much of a left turn. No. Oh, okay. The contractor Swanson moved in to intervene, and Brandon then turned on him, beating him to death with the club. Holy shit. Yeah. Martin then walked into the living room, where his father wasn't able to move or defend himself in his chair, and struck him in the head with the bat, killing him instantly. I don't have... It's I, fucked up. I gave you this? <laughs> you gave me this one. It's fucked up. It's really... I was... Like, it, imagine... I mean, not to get too morbid here, but imagine the damage that a Major League Baseball player could do swinging a bat at your head. No, it is... Wow. Um... Okay, so three dead so far. Yeah, Brandon then dragged his uncle Ricky to the garage and left him there. Okay, maybe Ricky's not dead? Ricky's, Ricky's bleeding good. Okay, okay. Right? Swanson was on the phone with Home Defender at the time, who did not alert authorities to the attack. Oh, Ron's just having a... Is it Ron? It's not Ron Swanson. Barry. Barry Swanson. <laughs> Barry's having a fun time. You're going to hear him. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what I'm talking about. Later, the family sued ADT and Home Defender for not calling anybody. But in the recordings, yeah. you know, played for the courts, it's it's not evident that there's anything going on. Yeah, it's I just mean, muffled background yeah, noise, okay, right? Okay, okay, yeah. So I don't think, you know, <laughs> I, I'm at, I think they were acquitted, like, oh, of I, this. I thought we were going down, like, the Eric Chow Road, and no. <laughs> we just... No. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Ricky, however, was on the phone with Mike at the time, and when he heard the racket... And then the line going dead, he raced over to the Martin home to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. That's when he discovered the grisly scene and that Brandon had fled in Barry's Ford F-150 Raptor work truck. That's a sick truck. I know. It's pretty, it's like a $70,000 or more work truck. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's a, yeah. Yeah. I think like the Lightning's the only one that costs more than yeah. that. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about trucks. We're here to talk Giants about murder. do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he steals the work truck and the three victims' cell phones and their wallets. Well, well that's dumb. Yeah. It's super dumb. It's very dumb. It's so He's dumb. not smart. He's not smart. He's not a smart victim. Or yeah, a victim. smart criminal. <laughs> that, that awful family of his. Yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Paul Gamanch and two other officers arrived on the scene. Gamanch, after clearing the scene, called ADT in order to identify Barry Swanson. Hey. Like, hey, we got one of your guys here. He's mashed. Yeah. Um, it's terrible. That's so bad. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Sorry to Barry Swanson's family. <laughs> okay, no more jokes. <laughs> yeah. At first, ADT could not provide Gamanch any information, but told him they would look into who was working there that day. Mm -hmm. He later got a call from Michael Harvey, who was Barry's son, and he was able to give police information. So I don't even think ADT called him back. They were just like, oh, that was Barry. We better call his son. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, Mike. Uh, bad news. Police called. Yeah, and, uh, your dad's, uh, he's retired. <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, continue. Okay, where am I going to? I don't okay. know. He later got a call from Michael Harvey, who was His Barry's son. son. Yes. And he was able to give police information. Yeah. About the type of vehicle that his father drove. Yes. So the officers were issued a bolo for the truck. Yes. So for Brandon, 
the heat is on, mm -hmm. right? So you'd think he'd bolt out of state or something, mm -hmm. like Nevada or Mexico. Yep, you know. Anywhere but. <laughs> anywhere but Carl's Jr., which is where he went. <laughs> I mean, you're hungry. <laughs> yeah. And Carl's Jr. is pretty fucking good. It is a great, great you know, establishment. For a fast food burger, you yeah. know. As us Canadians, we don't have Carl's Jr. So. Yeah. So then he spends the night in the truck. At Carl's Jr.? Well, somewhere. 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 Yeah, I don't think it was at Carl's Jr., <laughs> but somewhere in the area. The next morning, Officer Robert Behinnis spotted a truck matching the description of the vehicle in a police bulletin he had read the night before. So he followed Martin in an unmarked vehicle and awaited confirmation that the plate number matched the vehicle in question. When it in fact did, he called for a marked cruiser to come to his location. Officer Shannon Velasco had just started her shift not too long ago when she heard the call on her police radio that the Raptor truck had been located. So she joined Bahinas and also began to follow the truck. At this point, Brandon began to pull over, seemingly knowing that he was being followed and that the jig was up. So Velasco turns on her lights and sirens and pulls in behind Martin on an angle mm -hmm. so that she can block traffic. Main, no, so she can maintain a clear visual on his driver's side door. Fair point. Right? So she takes cover behind her car door, gets out, you know, so she's got the door open there and she's staring between. And she's got the PA system and loudspeaker to instruct Martin to show his hands through the driver's window, mm -hmm. which he complied to. Okay. So now this is considered a felony stop. Mm-hmm. So that obviously comes with more risk, yeah. as expected. So officers Behinnis and Velasco have to wait for backup before they can approach the stolen truck. I mean, if he's complying, just fucking... I don't, well, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily arguing with you, but th this is apparently what their protocol is. Okay, okay, sure. So they're waiting, but that gave Brandon time to reconsider pulling over. And he pulled his hands back inside the window and sped off again, turning this routine traffic stop into a high-speed chase. Yeah, this is what bureaucracy gets you guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no red tape in police chases. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is what we end up yeah. with <laughs> when you have too many rules. Without rules, the world is anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> Martin blew through stop signs, racing through residential areas, attempting to shake the cops. At this point, Velasco was authorized by her superiors to use a pit maneuver on the truck. Yeah. So if you don't know, I'm sure most people know what a pit maneuver is, but it's when you figure it out. It's when you crash into the back of the truck to try and spin them around, disable it. Yeah. So the truck rocked back and forth. Or sorry, pursuing officers herded Brandon into a parking lot off Buena Vista Park, where Velasco tried the pit maneuver the first time. The truck rocked back and forth, but managed to stay shining side up and escape the lot down the street, which is South Buena Vista Avenue, where Velasco attempted the pit again, but Martin maintained control once again. So he's gone through two, two pit maneuvers he's survived. So more officers joined in the chase, and Velasco attempted another unsuccessful pit maneuver. The, the difference in vehicle size is what's making it so difficult, uh -huh. car versus truck, you uh -huh. know. So Martin approached the red light of the intersection of Darby and Buena Vista with no intent of stopping or slowing down and veered into the oncoming traffic lanes, nearly crashing into two cars before swerving back into the correct lanes. Velasco stayed in pursuit and went for a fourth pit maneuver, finally able to spin the Ford truck around, not all the way around, but 90 degrees to the right. Okay. And at this point, another cruiser driven by Officer Dryley came around the right side of Velasco's vehicle and rammed the truck driven by Martin. Okay. So he's like under the back wheel. Yes. Yeah, so pictures of it. He's got T-boned a little and he's... Yeah. 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 All right. And he's under the drive wheels. So yeah. he's, he can't go anywhere. Yeah. So with his escape truck now disabled, Brandon Martin took off on foot and Officer Velasco continued to pursue Martin in her vehicle as he ran down the street. Jesus. <laughs> He's still in second. No quit. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon then slipped into somebody's backyard and hopped over a fence. 
Velasco left her vehicle and attempted to pursue on foot, but Martin was too fast, she said. He was the fastest kid. <laughs> he's very he's a professional athlete. Yeah. I know. He's just literally one makes, of the fastest kids sense. alive. Yeah. So the police set up a perimeter around, you know, an area of the subdivision and Velasco radioed in the area Brandon was last seen before returning to the work truck and securing that area. Uh-huh. So while back at the truck scene, Velasco said she saw a little white dog get out of the truck and run somewhere weird yeah Mm -hmm. i'll come back to that later as police searched the area they began closing in the perimeter and thus closing in on brandon who had now entered into a house through a back door apparently there was a woman home but she was like showering i guess or something Mm -hmm. when he broke in Mm -hmm. she was unharmed anyway but um so he's hiding out in this house and the police are closing in on the area Mm-hmm. And Brandon decides to stand in an upstairs window and keep an eye on what the police were doing. Yes. Which is so dumb. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's pretty dumb. That's where they spotted him again. <laughs> hey, okay. there he is. There he is. He's, up right there. <laughs> he's just he's like, wrapped in the b- drapes. <laughs> staring at them. <laughs> <laughs> so the police start gathering in front of this house, and Brandon goes into a room at the back of the house pulls out the window screen and jumps out the window. Okay. And while all this commotion is going on, there's this other officer, Corporal Jeffrey Bennett, who's in the canine unit. He's got his dog officer, Dex, with him. He's on this way to do a presentation in Riverside. But he requests to respond. He's like, fuck this presentation. I don't want to do this. I want to show kids how my dog bites criminals. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that's my job, but I really want to just bite some criminals. So he goes to bite some criminals. So he shows up and takes the lead on the search, and he leads Dex around the back of the house where they find Brandon all fucked up on the ground. (laughs) Uh, He probably just lets the dog bite him because, you know, Brandon sucks, but... We'll get to it. (laughs) Yep. He was laying on his back looking at the sky with his arm concealed behind his back. Yep. Bennett commanded Martin to show his hands and warn he'd be bitten by the dog if he did not comply. And he fucking jumped out a window and that didn't go well, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Show us your hands. Ah! <laughs> he said, quote, show me your hands or you're going to get bitten by the police dog. That was a quote in court. Yeah, <laughs> dude loves having his dog bite people. Yep. So there was no response or movement from Brandon Martin. Yeah, because he's fucked up. <laughs> I think he's pretending. At which Ooh. point Bennett deployed Dex to apprehend the sus- to deployed Dex to apprehend the suspect Brandon Martin. Dex bit Martin in the area of his left lower shin, at which point according to Bennett's testimony, Brandon Martin immediately jumped to his feet. Okay. And began to try to escape Dex's jaws, hobbling backwards about the yard while punching the dog on his head and in his face. Well, you're adding charges every punch and kick here, bud. Yes. All I mean, the... that doesn't matter. What am I talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> all the while, Dex holding the bite on Martin's leg. Yep. The punches failing to work, Martin then bent down to grab Dex from underneath and lifted him up. Lifted him up so that his face was looking at the dog's tail in like a reverse 69 of some, <laughs> some okay. kind. So he gets this dog in a sexy position. Yeah. <laughs> at which point, Martin fell forward to body slam the dog. Jesus. Yeah. I hope Dex is okay. Dex yelped out in pain, okay. releasing the bite, but he took another grip at Brandon's inner thigh and latched on. Uh, yeah, much worse. Yeah. Bennett moved on moved in at this point and not knowing how much more punishment Dex could take and realizing there was plenty of fight in Brandon, he struck Martin with his rapid containment baton, a two-handed strike to the collarbone. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a karma. (laughs) Yeah, it fucked you up. Yeah, no, but like you just beat the sh- you literally just killed people by beating them to death. You you deserve to take one to the collarbone at Mm -hmm. very least. Mm -hmm. Not sure whether or not Brandon had a concealed weapon. Officers put quite a beating on Martin. Yep. One officer kicked him twice, then jabbed him twice in the temple with the muzzle of his AR-15. That's a little. It's a little brutal. Yeah. You then at least wait, wait, you, you, you're bringing a gun to a to a 
to a dog fight to a dog fight come yeah. on man yeah. then at least four other officers joined in to subdue martin with baton blows punches and kicks yeah you know as i say i'm not uh not not normally gonna yay that but in this case uh a little extra kicks yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, anyway. <laughs> we're not gonna get into that. all they found in brandon's pockets was the truck key and 33 cents <laughs> <laughs> there were hundreds of hamburgers in the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hundred burritos. <laughs> he sustained several cuts and bruises, noted in a lengthy report by the K-9 unit, unit oh including a punctured scrotum. Oh, my you God. look you, at that? You brought a fucking Corona Police Department <laughs> brought the report. report with like you all to the, show me? There's 12 different, 13 different injuries. Abrasion, on that report. left cheekbone area, puncture scrotum, rake marks and punctures, top inner upper thigh area, redness abrasion, index fingertip. Inner up left area puncture. I'm not gonna read all these. Yeah, so he got fucked up. Is he, what got, I'm saying. he got a he got a good shit kicking. Yeah, he yeah. got a good shit kicking. So after all that, Martin went down and was eventually cuffed, but resisted the entire time. Mm-hmm. Brandon was then taken to a local hospital to be treated for his injuries before the legal battles began. So he was visited by the lead detective Gail Gottfried and was interviewed by her. Right? Mm-hmm. In Brandon's account. He claimed upon release from the mental health facility that he took the bus to his parents' house where he found the three men already beaten. Oh, yeah. We'll circle back to that in a second. (laughs) That's when he said he took the keys and left because, quote, I didn't have anything to do with that. That's that's what you do in that situation. You don't call for help. You just grab somebody else's Else's car. And their wallets and cell phones. Well, of course. (laughs) I mean, you got to call. What if you try to call for help once you go get a hamburger (laughs) with one person's phone and it's dead? (laughs) (laughs) When asked what vehicle he took, he claimed that he didn't know. I don't know what I took. So he explained that he tried to use different credit cards from the stolen wallets at four different gas stations before he disposed of the wallets and phones and then he hid out somewhere and slept in the truck yeah that's what you do when you find some bodies you just i just i didn't need the wallets anymore the credit cards weren't working yay and i didn't want to use my own because no, no, I wasn't trying to hide my location at all. Yeah, and then after a hard days of work, I slept in the stranger's vehicle in an isolated parking lot, like everybody does, instead of going home. Why are you hassling me, man? <laughs> so the next morning, he, he said he was on his way back to the house to swap Barry's work truck for his Uncle Ricky's truck when he was stopped by officers Behanis and Velasco. Uh, it's alleged by prosecutors that he wanted to switch the vehicles because Barry's truck was low on fuel. And assuming the credit cards probably didn't work because you'd have to put in the zip code or something, yeah, or, well, you know, some sort of ID. Some, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I'm assuming like a was just kind of joking about it, was that he probably didn't want to use any of his own stuff, or he was out of money, or yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, well, yeah. that's possible too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. So he claimed he fled at first. Uh, sorry, he claimed he fled at the first stop because he got scared when the police got out and drew their weapons, and that he jumped from the second-story window of the house he was eventually hiding out at in an attempt to end his life. Okay. 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 Now, eventually, in this interview process, Detective Gottfried has to question Martin and the validity of his story because if you remember, at the time of the attack, Uncle Ricky was on the phone with Cousin Mike. Yes. Who uh, had raced over to the scene when the line went dead and he claimed that Ricky informed him that Brandon was there. Of course. So Gottfried informed Brandon of this fact and he changed his story. Well, right as, as all innocent people do. Yes, he said that he had seen his Uncle Ricky talking on the phone outside the house when he pulled up. Yeah. And then he walked around to the side of the house and laid down in the yard for an hour or so just to have a little nappy poo. Yeah, that's what you do. You know, before he got up and then he went inside and discovered the three beaten men. Of course. 
You just slept. I was having a nap in the yard. Yeah, I didn't want to disturb Uncle Ricky's phone call, so I was like, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just take a nap over here, Uncle Rick. Yeah. And Uncle Rick was like, Brandon's here. He's taking a nap in the side he, yard. Yeah, he definitely mm. didn't tell what's his face that you were attacking him with a bat. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So uh, of course, this story doesn't exactly add up, and Brandon Martin was charged with three counts of first degree murder mm-hmm. and held without bail. Mm-hmm. So. Martin's defense attorneys argued that Brandon had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia in January of 2013 and remained untreated. Well, we forgot about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the weird part. Like the, the characteristics of like how his friends are describing him could definitely see the possibility that he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah. Or I like, mean, you know, like drug-induced hearing... psychosis or something like that going well, on. Well, that's, but... that's what I was kind of, you know, the way you, you start, it did sound a little bit like more of like drug-induced psychosis, but at the same point, sure, sure, like, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. Well, the voices part is the yeah. weird one, right? Where I he's mean, like, but don't... if you do enough coke, I man, guess, come I don't on. know. <laughs> I have no idea. But the defense had Dr. Alan Abrams review Martin's medical history, and he testified that Martin regularly smoked marijuana, but only did cocaine, LSD, and mushrooms on occasion. Okay. Quote, Martin has a very serious case of schizophrenia and doubts drug use uh, played much of a role in the severity of his illness or in the crime. Okay. End quote. All right. So So to witness for the... Defense. defense yes all right so this this doctor is being like he's schizophrenic okay and he's also illustrating by saying that two or three times he tried to visit brandon in jail mm-hmm. but the would-be client turned him away each time mm-hmm. and abrams recorded that quote martin hasn't been medicated since 2016 his cell is filthy with food and feces scattered around he sleeps on the floor and tells people to go away if they try to interact yeah yeah okay that's uh that's pretty harsh that's rough yeah so and also the the mental health defense was also aided obviously by the detainment under the 5150 yes yeah i guess that's uh yeah that's probably why you this is why they're building the case this way yep uh, his attorney said quote look at brandon he has no effect he has shown no reaction to any witness he's no longer the same person which was uh, his attorney, Edward Wellborn. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Robert Solomon, a, psycholo- a psychologist, testified for uh, the prosecution that he never saw signs of paranoid schizophrenia or similar conditions in Martin during the three meetings they had in weeks leading up to the killings. Uh-huh. So he'd like been seeing a psychiatrist, a, a psychiatrist I, I assume, at the suggestion of the Rays. Yeah. Um, so Brandon's defense team also argued that there was no physical evidence linking Brandon to the crime scene at the time of the murders. No fingerprints on the bat. No DNA on the bat. No blood on the clothing of Brandon Martin. And no blood on the inside of Barry Swanson's truck, despite the crime scene being quite grisly, and despite the fact that, as the defense argued, Brandon had spent 15 to 18 hours, quote-unquote, living in the truck after the attacks. I mean, that is odd, definitely. I mean, he did put himself at the crime scene having a nap on the that's, line. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a pretty weak defense because he could have easily cleaned the prints off the bat, and there was evidence that he had cleaned himself up in the bathroom. Yeah, and you don't just leave fingerprints everywhere, like perfect fingerprints. And, like, obviously his fingerprints would be on the bat whether he fucking did this or not. Yes. So, like, who the fuck cares whether his fingerprints are yes. on the bat or not, really? Yes. Yeah. It's not necessarily conclusive. Even yeah, either there. way, it's not conclusive. Yeah. So, uh, as I was saying, there was evidence he cleaned himself up of the blood in the bathroom and he could have easily changed his clothes. He was at home. Yeah. And remove the blood stained garments into a plastic bag and dispose of them later. Sure. Cause you know, as even his own defense says, there was 15 to 18 hours between the time of the attack. Yes. And when he was captured. Right. Yeah. So that's plenty of time. And here we go. We're, we're circling back to the dog that escaped. The dog that escaped the truck when he ran from police oh, was the family dog. Oh no. 
and who knows what he was thinking or whether he considered this, but it's doubtful that he would have wanted it to get all stained up with blood. Imagine, like, the police pulling over in the dust. No, no, he was just having a jelly sandwich. <laughs> it's my bloody dog. He, he enjoys a T-bone steak for Found breakfast every day. Found a chipmunk <laughs> in the park today, <laughs> officer. He was rolling in it. He likes his steak blue rare. I mean, I'm more of a medium guy, but... <laughs> so the truck would have been a harder vehicle to get a description on, uh, as all the witnesses were dead. Yes. Which is maybe why he took the dog as well. Just, you know, didn't want to leave the dog there with a bunch of dead people. So he was like, come on. Yeah, sure. Come on, Patches, or whatever. On top of all that, the defense is just straight up contradictory to Brandon's original police interview. Defense attorneys claim that these there were no footprints of Brandon's at the crime scene, even though, as you mentioned, Brandon himself had claimed to be there <laughs> and the first one to discover the scene. Yeah. And he, and he admitted also that he took the wallets and cell phones from the victim's pockets. Mm-hmm. So that's the defense's case. But prosecutors, however, argued that Martin was indeed dangerous and that his behavior was not fueled by mental illness but by drug use and ultimately that they, these were all choices consciously made by Brandon Martin. Prosecutor Kevin Beecham said in closing arguments, quote, you have to remember... These are all choices Brandon Martin made. He chose to sign an $860,000 contract to rent a mansion, to do drugs, to party incessantly, to refuse to listen to his family, end quote. I don't see why any of that is relevant to the... He beat people to death with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's written, whatever pre-work was it is there. It, it is minuscule in comparison. This guy didn't have to graduate high school. He didn't have to listen to this guy saying that. It's like, doesn't... No! <laughs> Anyways, I don't understand why they need to lay out this whole defense or prosecution of being like he was a part like i get they're trying to be like he's a drug addict and stuff like that and that's why he did this but i mean it's kind of just stupid i don't know i'm just getting off course here it's just it's just stupid to me to be like look what he did he was 20 years old with a bunch of money and being an idiot that leads to murder So anyway, carrying on, Brandon's older brother, Sean, testified in court that his brother's behavior grew worrisome in the years after signing that big deal. Quote, it was a ticking time bomb, he said. His mother, Melody, testified, quote, you didn't know what was going to happen. We locked our doors. We would hear him yelling. We heard him arguing, but nobody was there. The next day, we'd see punches in the walls of his bedroom, end quote. She recalled one night as the behavior became more concerning that Brandon appeared standing next to her bed late one night. Quote, he was scared. He didn't know what was wrong, but he knew something was wrong. I just held him in my arms and told him it was going to be okay. The prosecution made the case in their closing arguments that although the majority of the evidence against Brandon Martin was circumstantial, when the entire body of evidence was considered, it was just too unlikely that a series of coincidences would occur in this nature and that the evidence painted a much stronger likelihood that Brandon Martin did in fact commit these crimes. Like, you know, there was someone with no mo the the argument was like, how could there be someone with no motive break into the house and, and just happen to use people. Brandon's bat? No, and I, happen to also just kill the the bystander you've laid out this story well enough that i don't think anybody listening right now is uh is is too uh (laughs) being like this guy's getting a raw end of the deal here yeah Yeah, i think you're right (laughs) so on november 4th 2020 a jury found brandon martin guilty on all three counts of premeditated murder and also on counts of evading arrest resisting arrest, stealing an automobile, and injuring a police dog. Of course, they had to add that. Yes. Prosecution sought the death penalty, and in a lengthy penalty phase which lasted four days, jurors heard some emotional testimony before deciding between the capital punishment or a life imprisonment without the possibility for parole. Melanie Martin was the final witness on the stand where she pleaded for her son's life, quote, I do not want to lose another member of my family, it would be a dagger in my heart, end quote. So the jury deliberated for two days, but ultimately decided on sentencing Brandon to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
Okay. And Sean, that is the story of how a young Ray's prospects possibly drug-induced psychosis or maybe just his craziness and other untreated illnesses, the lack of adequate treatment for those ailments and negligent facility and a negligent police department all contributed to the tragic death of Michael Martin, Ricky Anderson, and Barry Swanson in September of 2015. Holy God, Eddie. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was like a half true crime. That was a true crime, Sean and Ed's do baseball. That was it. Wow. No, I mean, you really got into the the trial there, too. Mm -hmm. uh, You didn't skimp on the details. No, sorry. Yeah, no, it was great. (laughs) You have kind of a mad scientist thing with your notebook that you wrote this in, flipping back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, It was a fantastic... I, I... don't had I had no memory of that. Like, okay, are you kidding me? Well, I'm glad that uh, <laughs> that was a that was a revelation to you. Oh my god, I thought you were gonna go old school on me. I thought we were gonna go back to the 1890s or something, but uh, the uh, 2000s. Um, well, that's I mean that was sad. That was sad. Uh, yeah, it was a sad story. Yeah, no matter what. Once again, uh, if you're if you're suffering from from mental illness or addiction, uh, there is always a way. So reach out, get help. We're always open. Our DMs are open and stuff, uh, but uh, thank you very much for showing, sharing that story. You're welcome. Um, and I'm glad you liked it. I, like is a strong <laughs> word. I uh, enjoyed hearing it. I'll put it that way. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's no, good that, enough. Yeah. No, that was something I did not know about. Um, so uh, until next time, we will have a different, <laughs> a very different story on mm-hmm. baseball history next time. Uh, but thanks so much for sharing that, Edzy. Where can the people find you on Twitter? Oh, you can find me at Ed's Do Baseball. And you can find me at Sean Do Baseball. You can find both of us at Doing Baseball, uh, as well as links to all of our shit. Uh, we got Spotify, we got Apple Podcasts, we're on Amazon now, right? Something mm-hmm. like that. There's uh, a couple other ones too. I cannot even remember, to be honest. Wherever you're listening, a review, a rating, or a follow would be appreciated. Um. Yeah. That's 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 it. That's thanks uh, to Two Loons. Thanks to Two Loons Brewing. Wow. I need a beer after that <laughs> one. I am in an interesting headspace after that story, Ed Z. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm gonna go enjoy some baseball. Uh, and until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we were bringing you the baseball history. Okay. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.